it's certainly good to, to see you all. Um, if you have aught against me, I would be happy to deal with that before uh, <laughs> before mission focus. Uh, I would appreciate that. I got a list. Um, you got a list, <laughs> sir. You're thinking of Mitch Medlin. Okay. Uh, so, actually, actually had Mitch Medlin come up to me and say. Somebody said, congratulations about getting ordained. And I'm like, you got the wrong Mitch. <laughs> so, so I already told Sam, I said, if you hear anything, it's, it's meddling. It's not me. It would take a whole so, year. It would, it, would take, it would take several years to get through all the Mitch Medlin uh, list. But um, if you didn't hear, uh, you know, Sam announced that, that uh, your church will be ordaining me. And it's very humbling. It's, it's seriously weird to to think about it's kind of weird to say out loud uh, and that like so um, s- certainly very very excited uh, about it and um, I, I don't know I felt a little weird when he was like it's about freaking time is kind of the message I heard um, it's like well you know maybe the Lord is still working on me I don't know um, so but, uh, but yeah, so if there is anything we need to deal with or, or uh, work through, please, please, let, let's, uh, let's do so. I, uh, I told Sam that I had, I had great confidence that we would be able to, to work through whatever it was that might come up. And um, so I don't know what that's going to look like uh, logistically. My understanding is that there's going to be a reception that evening for uh, that ordination as well as for the... Uh, LFBI graduates, so there will be graduation that night as well, and um, so so anyway, yeah, so exciting times. Um, with respect to so so Tom Kilgore asked me about any kind of activity. It's been a minute since we've we've done an activity. Probably looking definitely at this point looking after focus, and um, you know we did a murder mystery. I think it was February-ish uh, last year. We're going to try to do something fun like that. We might hold off the murder mystery again until maybe later in the year. Maybe grab another fellowship in the in the process. I think that was a good time, but um, but be you know. The thing that's rattling around in my head, if you get something for Christmas that you don't like, you might set it aside. We might have a post-Christmas white elephant gift exchange where you can get rid of some of your some of the things you don't want or, I don't know, a game night. or. Oh, if your spouse gave it to you, yes. You should put it in a position of great esteem in your home and then accidentally... Yeah, what's the what's the the line from Christmas Story? Nobody really knows how the leg lamp broke. It just broke, right? Um, so, so if you have a leg lamp, then uh, you can just huh? It was Frigili. It was Italian. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good stuff. Good stuff. Good, good movie. All right. So, um, so we'll we'll jump back into our our lessons from from Jesus' questions this morning. This is a, an interesting, you know, interesting thing that we need to deal with this morning when we look at the the, the because the passage, this story appears in three of the gospels, and uh, it's a little bit different. So we got to kind of address that. We've got to deal with that, and we're gonna. I really think it was beautiful uh, what the Lord did with respect to Jonathan's message this morning, and several of the things that he he mentioned are. Um, you know, right up, uh, right up the alley here. So, if I could have the brown nosers in the front pass out, the, 
pass out the uh... <laughs> awesome so um, so our, our lesson today is out of these three passages go ahead if you have your Bible turn to Matthew chapter 8 because I want to read out of Matthew chapter 8 a little more than what's on the screen um, Matthew chapter 8. I appreciate uh, Brandon praying for us. So, um, pick it up in verse 23. And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves. But he was asleep. And the disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, lest, uh, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men, his disciples, marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? So we actually have three different accounts of this story, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And Mark, the kind of the key verse around the question, and he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And he, and then Luke, and he said unto them, Where is your faith? And they, being afraid, wondered, saying one to, an, uh, yeah, one to another, What manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the winds and water, and they obey him. So... Um, we're going to we're going to address this kind of this concept of lack of faith but we're we're going to for a few minutes at least spend some time on why the accounts are different um, they're recorded differently uh, the interaction of fear and faith uh, which really complements what Jonathan spoke about this morning. I really appreciate Jonathan's approach uh, to studying the Word and, and a lot of P's and a lot of F's. Uh, I do not alliterate, so I apologize. If you need someone that alliterates, you'll have to look up thesaurus.com and take my words and find words that all start with the same letter. Uh, but the interaction of fear and faith, that's about as good as I can. Uh, and then different manifestations of a lack of faith. Different manifestations of a lack of faith. So our series study point, right? The, the, the thing you can take in your study of Scripture that you can apply personally is gospel alignment, and then I put in parenthetical, non-alignment, is purposeful in Scripture. It's purposeful. Now, you have a choice this morning. You can believe that statement or you can choose not to believe that statement. Okay. What I mean by that is some people will ch would choose to look at these three different accounts and think that somebody messed up the story somehow. The, the three writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when they recorded it, remembered it differently or something. You could choose that camp that there is a problem with the account or the three accounts. Or you can choose that, there, that this was done for a reason. Now, obviously, I'm not going to stand up here and tell you I, I think the Word of God has errors in it or inconsistencies. I don't think it does. I'm going to choose that this is purposeful. So, I'm just, I just want to be super transparent. That's the basis. That's the foundation from which I'm moving forward in this study. If you're not there, then a lot of the things that I'm going to say about this part 
won't apply. I mean, they just won't apply. And I don't know how else to say it other than I would I would respect and request the opportunity to sit down with you and go into more detail than the short amount of time that we have uh, here in class to go over this. But I believe that the different accounts in Scripture are purposeful and are written that way different aspects for different reasons. Okay? So, again... From my perspective, we must embrace the differences in the gospel accounts rather than become critics of those different accounts. Now, some some kind of, you know, I'm going to give you a $5 word uh, today, synoptic. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called synoptic gospels because they are most alike or like synonym, okay? That it's, just a, it's just a word to describe that they're similar. Okay, They're called the synoptic gospels. What John covers is often different. Okay, It's often different. I'm going to show you a chart. I didn't include this. I, you could maybe draw it on your... Uh, and I didn't run all of these. You'll see I used chapter references. These are just chapters, not actual references. So just bear with me. It's meant to be illustrative. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke, notice with respect to the childhood, we see it both in Matthew and Luke. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain, we see in both Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The Olivet Discourse, course, we see in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The final ministry in Jerusalem, we see in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And these are just a few examples, right, of the the, the way the three Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke are similar. We see it actually in this miracle of calming the sea, right? That Matthew, Mark, and Luke have an account, but John is absent from the account. But we see, and again, these are just a few examples, the beginning of his ministry is called out in John chapter 2 and 3. His, the Feast of Tabernacles is called out in several uh, chapters, but it's not in the others. Now, there are certainly aspects of Jesus' ministry that appear in all four Gospels. There are things that might appear in just Mark and, and John or something. This is, this is not a pattern that runs all the way through. It's not that John only addresses things that Matthew and Mark don't. But the point here, the illustration is that these three Gospel accounts are generally seen as alike. Okay? And we see that in this passage, right? That Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have an account. That doesn't mean John wasn't there. Didn't mean John saw it as unimportant or anything like that. John was just not led of the Spirit to record it. Now, I believe that's, again, purposeful. Now, each gospel account reflects a different aspect of Christ's ministry. Now, I'm going to I'm going to go here for just a minute, and this actually was addressed by Sam in our study of the book of Genesis. I'm not going to spend very long on it. It is just a concept to support uh, the 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 premise or the foundation of the teaching here. We could do a whole class or two actually or several on this concept, but there there are, there are three verses in Scripture, two in Ezekiel and one in Revelation, that talk about the created beings in heaven having four faces. They have the face of a man, the face of a lion, the face of an ox, and the face of an eagle. 
And it's generally been accepted in, in, in biblical Christianity that those four, four aspects of those created beings are portrayed in the four Gospels. That Matthew portrays Jesus as a Messiah, as a king, as a lion, very majestic, and focuses on his righteousness. Mark... As very uh, so, so in Matthew, for instance, you'll see the lineage, you'll see the lineage of a king, rather than that of in Mark. You actually see no lineage at all because an ox or a servant doesn't their lineage doesn't matter. Okay, we see more of of his miracles and strength and his action, his work going on in, in Mark. In Luke, we see him presented, Jesus presented more as a man. The whole Christmas story is out of Luke. The birth of Jesus and the events surrounding his birth as a human, the only early, the childhood, if you will, reference of Jesus is in Luke. He's very much presented as a man, right? As a friend, as a brother. His humanity is pulled out in the book of Luke. In the book of John, he's kind of this aspect of an eagle. He came down from heaven. If you remember the first few verses in the book of... I'm sorry, in the book of of Luke, we also have a, a genealogy, right, that talks about his earthly genealogy. But in the book of John, he is presented as the Son of God. He doesn't have a genealogy because other than the fact that he is God's son. So I... I do think these things are purposeful. And when I first started studying these passages in uh, Matthew 8, Mark 4, and Luke 8, relative to this, this miracle, I came to the realization that I believe God is trying to pull something out through these three different accounts, right? So there's some differences in the questions. So I just pulled out the questions. Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Is in Matthew. Why are you so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? In Mark. And where is your faith? Now, at, at its at its most simple perspective, it is possible that Jesus just addressed the disciples using different words. Right? He if if we were if there was a if if we were in let's go back into service for a moment. And there was a fire in the lobby, okay? And somebody came into the congregation and said, there's a, lo- uh, there's a fire in the lobby, right? There would be a lot of chaos, a lot of confusion. People would probably start getting out. So, if, I mean, a legitimate fire in our, in our little example. I might say to Jamie, Jamie, get them out. Work, get the, make sure that, you know, Jamie, go down and help get the kids out of Kidtown because I know he was down there or something, right? Or I might say to Nathan, Nathan, hey, can you make sure nobody goes this way into the lobby? I need you to stand, not that I'm in charge, just bear with me with the example, right? And I might look over at Doug and I'll say, Doug, go outside and make sure the fire department knows where in the building the fire is. Right, so Doug, that's your responsibility. Some people have taken a CPR course, and if you've taken a CPR course, one of the first things they say is, 
take charge and tell someone to call 911. Someone specific. Don't say, somebody call 911. Because everybody will think somebody else is doing it. You say, call 911. And that person will go, oh, okay. And then they'll call 911, right? So, in that example of a fire, is it possible I could have yelled, everybody out of the building? Right? Yet, I just told Jamie to go downstairs. I just told Nathan to stand at the door. You know, Doug's leaving. He's going out, but he's got some... It's very reasonable in a situation to say one thing and say it multiple ways to multiple people. This is not even a hard, hard concept. They felt like they were going to die. Is it possible that Jesus said something different to Matthew than he did to Mark, than he did to Luke, or that they heard? Absolutely. And to approach Scripture as if, aha, I finally, finally found the contradiction. Blah, and I feel like we should twirl a mustache. Blah, right? <laughs> I would argue is disingenuous. You weren't there. You're assuming that these are the same statements recorded differently. And maybe they are, but I don't think so. I'm choosing to put my trust in the Word of God that this is for a reason. And I would say that Matthew, it's interesting because Matthew as the Messiah King who is dealing primarily with Israel, right, through that lens, that they were looking for a Savior and arguably they had some faith but not enough. How is it, O ye of little faith, do you not trust me as Messiah? Right? But yet in Mark, the servant, he's supposed to have obedience, not faith. A servant's supposed to have obedience. Yes, sir. You tell me what to do, I do it. That's obedience. There's an aspect of faith. We'll actually look at that in a few minutes. But it's obedient. And then in Luke, where is your faith? Your faith could be placed in man, in the humanness, as compared to God. I believe that this is purposeful in, in the, in the recorded, uh, recording of Scripture. So, setting aside those differences, we're now going to kind of approach them together so that we can get our devotional or inspirational message, and, and I would say even some doctrine, but some practicalness out of this lesson. So how does one have little faith? I think this is kind of interesting because I, I kind of view faith as, a, as, as an on-off switch. It's a one or a zero in my mind. Do I have faith or do I not have faith? And the reality is it's a little bit more of a spectrum. Because I could have faith for X, but not have faith for Y. And in my mind, that's an, a one and a zero, an on and off switch in each of those cases. But the reality is it's a growth process of faith. So we're going to look at how does one have little faith. So notice the question, why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Now, four of the five times the words little faith, and if you wanted to look them up in the Hebrew, um, or I'm sorry, in the Greek in this case, in the New Testament, in the Greek, they are two words. Little, small, um, um, a, a small amount, and faith. So it's not just the way the translators translated it. They actually translated it the word little or small to little and the word faith to faith. I mean, it's like, right. There's no question in my mind about that. Four of the five times little faith appears in Scripture, it appears in Matthew. 
And I, that's, I don't think that's something you can ignore, that kind of pattern. And that's why I brought up that the, the nation of Israel had faith that a, that a Messiah was coming. They just didn't have the right kind or enough faith to acknowledge that it was Jesus. Right? So they had some faith. It, it, again, it implies this existence of a faith, but not enough. Not enough. And, and you could, we could certainly talk about this concept, you know, where Jesus uh, mentions the faith of a mustard seed, right? And that if you just had the faith, just a little bit of faith, you could actually do it. And that's where I kind of see the on-off switch of faith. And I realize it's probably not the best illustration. But when I'm approached with a situation, I feel like I have to address faith through uh, a, a, a cognitive situation, not an emotional situation. Most people, I think, address faith through emotions. But I see faith as has nothing to do with emotion. Remember what was going on here, right? They were in a boat that was being covered. Now, there's, there are emotions, just like there would be emotions if there was a fire. But the issue is the emotions are not driving the faith. The emotions are the response to the stimuli, a sinking, a potentially sinking boat, a building that's potentially on fire and could cause injury or death, right? So the emotions are almost always around with the issues of faith, but I view the issue of faith as much more of a decision. Do you trust him or not? Do you believe him or not? This is not a, well, and, and, you know, maybe if I get my praise on, and, and, that, and, and I do think there are times when we emotionally connect with God. I really don't want to sound like I'm, I'm you know, diminishing that, because I, he designed us that way. I just don't think it has to do with faith. Faith is a very intellectual concept to me, and I, ar- I would argue that, that, that that's the way Jesus is portraying it. How is it that you have a little faith when I can stop the wind and the waves? How is it that you have... Did you think I could only maybe provide enough safety that you would float until someone saved you? Because that's what I think that's probably part of what he's getting at, is that they have enough faith that they kind of trust him through it, but they don't trust him absolutely. Like... I trust that, that though you slay me, yet will I trust him, right? Though he kill us, though he allow us, it's, it's literally like the, you know, we commonly refer to them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in, in the fiery furnace. The, you know, so be it. If you want to put, it in the, put us in the fiery furnace, fine. But we're not changing our position. That's like faith in my mind, right? That even if I get in the fire and I die, that I'm good with that. God's, God's got this. Like, okay, I'm going to die and I'll be with him. So notice that fear cannot be overcome with little faith. Jonathan actually said it, and I made some additional notes. And It's on your notes, so you don't have to necessarily write this. It's on the handout that he had. The remedy for our... Pre- our uh, the remedy for our present fear is faith in God through His Word. The remedy for fear is faith. The only spin I would put on it, and I think God was meshing this together very nicely, is it's not little faith. It's not little faith. Notice in Matthew chapter 14, 
right? Again, one of those four or three other references to little faith in, in Matthew. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. It's interesting. Peter on the water. Yet again, the, the story is water. He cried, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? See, doubt is, doubt is allowing fear to manipulate the equation. Could God save him or not? Could Jesus save him, yes or no? Could Jesus, Jesus called him out onto the water. So the, the first part of the faith equation was, was very clear. Okay, he called me out, I can do it. So he gets out there and he allows the doubt, the fear circumstances, to, to have an impact. And, and I did, I preached on this passage years ago. And, and it's interesting because in this story, the wind and the waves are so strong that this is not, I think we, you know, like if I was to Google and pull up a picture of Jesus and Peter on the water, like we think of, oh, the, the little waves look like this, right, <laughs> on the coloring sheet. But for the description of the boat to be doing what it was doing in this passage and the parallel passages, the amount of wind and the amount of waves that was hitting them would have caused the boat to be up and down and the line of sight to be blocked, potentially, or probably. So Jesus, we always kind of give Peter a hard time because of the, you know, he takes his eyes off Jesus, right? But the circumstances created a really, I guess I'll go with easy environment for that to happen. They like get in the way or they come up and they swell to where only I can just see Jesus just a little bit, right? But we know he was there and we know he called Peter. He says, how... And he said unto him, O thou of little faith, which again is interesting because Peter is the disciple or the apostle to the Jews. Again, this theme is consistent. O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? You cannot overcome fear with little faith. If you're dealing with fear, Jonathan gave you a wonderful pattern, a wonderful prescription, I think it was, on how to deal with doubt, or how to deal with fear, which is just the manifestation of doubt. So we're not going to retrace those steps, but just notice that he was afraid, and the afraid cannot be overcome. Fear cannot be overcome with little faith. Reinforce your faith. Little faith can be created now by a lack of understanding and remembering. So another one of the references in Matthew 16. When Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves because ye have brought no bread? Right? So this is one of the the feeding miracles. Do ye not yet understand, neither remember the five loaves of the five thousand and how many baskets ye took up? So they had little faith in a subsequent need situation because they didn't remember and understand what Jesus had done before. Like he literally multiplied food and fed them. I, this is the part that's really hard for, for Mitch Dobson as a human because I would really like to think that if, that if I was present... For Jesus taking five loaves 
and feeding 5,000 out of it, like, I kind of feel like I'd still be talking about it every day. I kind of feel like, do you remember that? Every time I'd have bread, I'd be like, do you remember that time Jesus took five loaves? Remember? Remember that, Doug? That was awesome. Like, now, the reality is, I do fail to share and, and, and live in the miracles that he's done in my life, so I'm very much like the disciples. But he, Jesus is being very poignant, very targeted here, when he says, do you not understand, neither remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up? You were there. This is not a story. You did it. Do you not remember and not understand? So if you want to overcome little faith, you need to understand and remember. And I would argue understanding comes from studying and being in Scripture. So if you're not spending time in the Word, if you're not being discipled, if you're not being uh, stretching yourself maybe in LFBI, whatever it is, the, the thing, you know, some of the, what we used to call D2, which is foundations two and three now, if you're not stretching yourself in those areas, I would argue you're teeing yourself up for a situation of little faith. You need to understand and remember. The only thing that's going to get me through the next fear, doubt cycle is remembering what Jesus has done for me. I mean, that's what Jonathan really got. That was the, the core conclusion of what Jonathan talked about today. So there is a solution to little faith. And it's kind of interesting because this, is, this really does parallel, I think, with what Jonathan said. And we didn't, didn't you know, tick or tie this out. But just ask. So call, I think, was, you know, call on the Lord, right? Mark chapter 9 In verse 23 and 24, Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Just just trust me, have faith. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Right? I mean, it's like, I know that you're God, but I know I'm not where I need to be. But it's, he cried out with tears. This is a dude that his kid is having all sorts of medical issues, right? All sorts of, of turmoil. And there's stress beyond comprehension. And the father of the child who, again, emotions, I, I get it. The emotions are not necessarily tied to the unbelief. They're tied to the situation. But he cries out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. Ask him. Ask him to help grow your faith. He, this is literally like like Jonathan saying with this with his kid, you know, like I don't know. It was weird to me that the ball was in the toilet, but I don't know. Maybe it wasn't weird to you. I, I don't remember ever pulling a ball out of a toilet. But no, Charlie put so, my phone in the toilet once. Okay, so but but. I think in that case, I would be like, here, let me lift you up and let me let you get the ball. Um, but the parenthood component is very, very strong in this example. Because as a, chi- as a child, or with respect to a child, a, a son or a daughter, I want them to want me. Right? I want them to need me. And I do think that's inherent in our relationship with God. He loves to answer our prayers. And He promises to do it if they're in accordance with His will. Right? 
So he loves, if you would just say, come to him and say, look, Lord, I, I believe you're doing this, but I'm still struggling with it. I need your help. He loves to answer that prayer. Amen. He loves. And the second part is to build on it. Then you may have heard, maybe have heard Sam use this. He, he sprinkles this in. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. He'll say things like, we'll go from faith to faith. And that's interesting because it's like, the only thing I can liken it to is, is laying bricks or cinder block foundation or a wall, right? Is that we're going to put faith on top of faith. And I can trust him now for things because of the time that I've spent, because he's shown himself faithful to me in these little things years ago that I've learned through and I've learned to trust him and I learned to acknowledge that, boy, he's worthy to be trusted. It's from faith to faith. And that's going to, therein is the righteousness of God revealed. He will literally conform you to the image of Christ if you let him. Now, it doesn't ultimately take place till after we're dead. We'll get as close as we can on this side of well, while we still have the flesh on, right? But look, and it is, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. If you want to be just, if you want to be righteous before God, exercise your faith. Ask God to give you little things to trust Him for. I know that sounds like kind of like praying for patience, right? Where you're like, oh, I don't know if I ask him to give me things to trust him in, he's going to make me, you know, he's going to dang. I heard somebody said, somebody, a, a pastor said, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tweak it a little bit because he, he, I think he didn't do it quite right. But he's like, a Christian's faith is only as good as his belt. And what he, his illustration was, if you go to the edge of a cliff and you lean over and you let God hold on to your belt and let him lean you over that cliff, your faith is only as good as your trust in the belt. Right? And, and, I, and I, get, I get the illustration because the point is, but it, it, that, it's not really about the belt. It's about, do you trust him to lean you over the cliff? Do you trust him? And you are going to be hearing more and more about this. There is a church in another part of the country that has started something like 600 churches. Crazy number of churches around the world. The way that happens is not ordaining a pastor every couple of years and sending them to Vietnam or sending them to Lee Summit or sending them to Florida or Boston. It happens when the congregation considers that they are called to the mission. And instead of sending a handful of folks, they send 40 folks. That's when, that's when the mission becomes exponential. And you're going to be hearing more and more about this in the coming days, weeks, months, years. You should never assume the mission is for someone else. You should always start with, is God calling me to go to, you know? As, it, because, look, we can pick up and we can move Mike and Meredith and the kids to Boston, right? But a team of people went with that went and just got jobs in Boston. And they're doing in Boston what they did here, right? And that kind of faith is not little faith, 
That's significant faith. It's going to be a faith that grows. Galatians, notice this, 3.25. But after that faith has come, so a mature faith, not a little faith, but a mature faith, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. You know what's really interesting about that statement is you can be at peace. You can trust the Holy Spirit to work in your life when you have faith. It's like, well, I'm going to do this. Oh, God closed that door. Okay, I'll go over here. And you don't, you don't think, oh, what are people going to think? I mean, honestly, I've had to deal with this over the last you know, little bit as we're approaching this ordination. It's like, what if, what if somebody does come up from my past that I didn't think about or I thought I had dealt with, but they, you know, we didn't really deal with it and we have to postpone an ordination? You know, that's going to be embarrassing. Huh? So what? Like, if God closes that door, if I, boom, okay, well, all right, what's the next step? We have to be mature enough and confident enough in our faith that we don't need a schoolmaster telling us to mind our P's and Q's, to sit up straight and listen to the teaching. We can live in the power of the faith. So, lesson two, no faith. I mean, Jesus, to, to, to Mark, he's like, you, you, have, where, you have no faith? How did he put it here? You've got, uh, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? So the fundamentals of faith, overwhelmingly, faith is a New Testament concept. Faith appears, at least in the King James Version of the Bible, 247 times. Two of those are in the Old Testament. Two! times. And both of those echo to obedience, like being faithful as compared to the concept of belief in something. It's an, faith is an overwhelmingly New Testament concept. And here's why. It's actually pretty straightforward. Because according to Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It starts with the Bible, you hear it, and then you have faith. Well, the Bible wasn't concluded in the Old Testament. It wasn't even concluded in the Gospel time or the early New Testament time. We are living in a, in a beautiful position right now because we have the, the, the complete Word of God. So we can have a faith that others didn't have the opportunity to, to have. And it's interesting because I put in here, uh, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things, right? Unseen. So faith is literally the manifestation of what you're expecting or the tangibleness, I'm trying to use different words, tangibleness of that which cannot be seen. That's all that it is. I am so confident... I am so, I am going to be really, really, really surprised if after I die, I don't end up in the presence of heaven, uh, the Lord in heaven. Like, I'm going to be flabbergasted. I am so confident that once I take my last breath, I'm going to be in the presence of the Lord, that I'm going to be like, what did I miss? I'm just going to be really, I mean, like, so surprised. Like, I don't think it's going to happen. I'm that confident in it because it's the substance of the hope that I have. Right? That's the faith. That's the concept of faith. So how is it they have no faith? Well, they didn't really have the completeness of Scripture. They didn't have the reference that we do. So when he says to Mark, or at least Mark records it, of what was said said relative to no faith, 
I get it. They had experience, but they didn't have a standard. That standard was the person of Jesus, and Scripture was not was not full. So I would argue, Mark and his buddies, the disciples in the boat, they can withstand a statement from Jesus saying, "How is it that you have no faith? That you and I don't get the same answer? Get the get to answer the same way? We've got Scripture." We've got the fullness of Scripture. And Scripture promises that if you put it in you, your faith will develop. Man, what a... It's, it's like, a, like I said, it's a, it's a given. And then our last point, our last lesson. The proof of faith. The proof of faith. So where is your faith was the, the last question that he asked to Luke. And I would put here, just for illustrative purposes, not, I'm not correcting scripture, another way to word it for understanding is, where is the proof of your faith? As compared to, it, it could be, where is your faith? Could be, where are you placing your faith? Do you at least understand how that could be the direction of the question? What's your faith in? Where is your faith? No. What he's actually saying is, what is the proof? What is the manifestation? Where is your faith? I don't see it. And in Matthew chapter 8, this is, again, a beautiful, beautiful picture. This is what I was referencing earlier about the concept of obedience, coupling with faith, building. Start with obedience and your faith will grow. Right? You're under a schoolmaster, but when faith has come, you don't need the schoolmaster anymore. Start with obedience, do what he says to do, and you will get to a point where you have faith. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. So the centurion comes to him and says, Hey, my servant, I need you to heal him. And then verse 9 is just beautiful. For I am a man under authority... I ha- I'm in the rank, right? I have, I have some people under me, but I have people over me. I'm a man under authority. I understand how authority works. Somebody above me tells to do something, I either do it or make sure, and I delegate it, and it gets done. That's how authority works. That's all authority is. Power is, or authority, but power is given down to the layer of people to be able to accomplish the task. Sometimes it has to do with skill set. Sometimes it has to do with quantities of people. Like, like I'm pretty sure Shane doesn't want me over at the Meyer building doing, like, I mean, I'll get paint up. If uh, tomorrow night after midnight or whatever when Shane starts painting, like, I'll show up. I could help him get paint on the wall. I'm not sure it's going to look good. My wife can point out all the places in our house where I've painted, and she's like, I'm going to do a very good job on that drywall. Right? So sometimes it's a skill set thing. Authority has been given from Sam, I would argue maybe through Chris, to Shane to do that. Doesn't mean Shane's more or less than Sam. Sam has delegated that authority. This is literally the same thing. The centurion comes to Jesus and says, I know you can heal him because I'm under authority. Power is given to me. Sometimes I delegate that power. Just say the word. Or I say to this man, go, and he goeth, and to another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. That's how authority works. 
And when Jesus heard, he marveled and said unto them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Again, the concept of some faith exists, little faith, the pattern is very clear here to me. I hope I'm communicating it. I've not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. So, where is the manifestation of your faith? Well, the first, I would say, it's in obedience. Understanding the structure and obedience. The second, look, in Galatians chapter 3, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Again, we, we see that. The just shall live by faith. Now, that doesn't mean, at the end of the day, I'm going to lean back in my chair and say... You know, money should just fall out of heaven and land in our bank account. Faith looks like hard work, you know, a lot of times. It's like, you know, the old man with the, the old, you know, God, I don't know why I'm thinking an old man with overalls, but it, sure, in our, in our world, he'll have overalls. It, you, know, you know, opportunity looks an awful lot, an awful lot like, like hard work, you know. I'm glad I worked hard because... Right? Because people will then give me opportunity. Right? So, it's the just shall live by faith is the evidence, the, the living by faith. It's not just expecting something to come to you. It's living by faith. And knowing you're going to hit some brick walls. I thought I was supposed to do that. It's okay, I learned from that. I'll go over here and I'll do this until the Lord redirects me. Oh, okay, he's taught me from there to here. Now I need to take this. And I would argue, maybe this is a little bit self-fulfilling, but I would argue that I wasn't ready to be ordained prior to now. Because it's a journey. Some people may, Some people were in the, the, the quick class. I was on the slow bus, evidently, getting here after, after all these years. But that's okay. I needed to do the steps that I needed to do, and the Lord needed to take me through those steps to get me to this point. And then look in Acts 18, 4, or, uh, 14.22, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them. So this is what Paul, uh, in this place, uh, in this point, Paul and Silas, are doing. Exhorting them to continue in the faith that we through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. So, exhorting them to continue in the faith. It's interesting. So, I would say you need to grow in it. You start with obedience. Allow it to be evident in your life, in the blocking and tackling of your day-to-day. Do you trust him that, you know, this is, this is going to sound silly, but the other day I was just like, every, every line I got in was... Like, I mean, I was at Hobby Lobby yesterday. So the one line was going, sorry, you just got to listen. Um, the one line was going fast, so what do I do? Get another. And then the person right in front of me, because I was like the fifth one back, so now I'm the second. I didn't cut off. I, was, I made sure I wasn't just, you know, I'd, I get over there. And then they have to call a manager. <laughs> and the person that I was right in front of is like... <laughs> And they check out, and right as they're leaving, they give me the eye contact. I was just like, not the eye contact. They gave me the eye contact. And I was like, Lord, you must be doing this for a reason. Whether it's to teach me something, maybe more patience than I should have stayed in the first line. Maybe it's because if I would have been in that line, I would have got, walked out and gotten hit by the, the semi-truck pulling out. Of the, I, don't, I don't know. Like, the Lord was at work. So I chose in that moment... 
to trust that the Lord was at work. I don't always do that. Sometimes I get real frustrated. (laughs) But we have to continue in faith. It's an important process for us. And then look at this in the last verse, James chapter 2. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, if the faith doesn't have works, so works doesn't, don't save you, but the faith that you have, if it doesn't manifest itself, if it doesn't show up in ministry, if it doesn't show up in servant, wow, if it doesn't show up in some way, shape, or form, I would argue that faith is dead, right? It's not alive, right? So, the proof of faith. So, look at this. Avoiding little faith. You can have more than just a little faith. Little faith is not going to conquer fear. Faith is going to conquer fear. The fundamentals of faith. Where does faith come from? comes from the Word of God. And then the proof of the faith is going to be manifest as you do it. Okay? I know that's a lot. I piled on a lot of concepts today, but they're all very intertwined. Very intertwined. And I would argue that there's a very specific reason that the three accounts are different in Scripture. So that maybe, not just today, but in part today we could put them all together and see that Jesus had a very specific purpose in saying what he said. Some people were supposed to take care of kids. Some people were supposed to make sure some people don't go back into the lobby. And some people were supposed to go get uh, deal with the fire truck, right? All the right people heard the right messages. The goal was whether they applied them. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you. I thank you for the completeness, the inerrancy of it, the, compl- uh, the, the, the comprehensive nature that these things were put in there for purpose and not by mistake. Lord, we thank you for the way you use believers. I thank you for the way you've used men and women of God in my life over the years to help me grow my faith. And so, Lord, I pray for each and every person that hears this, Lord, that their faith would mature so that they don't have to be under a schoolmaster, that they can have a functioning faith that's manifest and that can overcome fear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Y'all have a great... Oh, yes. We have our, our ladies' Bible study tomorrow night. It's kind of more of a hangout. I don't know if this was said earlier in the report, like in the announcement. I don't know. No, not really. Um, so, all ladies are invited. So was that just next door? Yeah. I don't know what happened. Okay. I'm guessing somebody's was doing a table would be my guess. Yeah, okay. And when are you going to do that? I'll tell Rachel. Good night.